Hey everyone, welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Trevor Clifford, I'm here with Mark Gagne. How you feeling, Mark? I feel good, man. I feel like Gilbert Gottfried in a helium tank. How you feeling today? I feel like a doctor who's trying to treat his own wound. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a podcast where me and Mark talk about uh, the books that we've been reading, the uh, you know the authors that we've been loving, and uh, a few games and uh books, TV, and video games in between. Mm-hmm. You think you could sit yourself up? Sit yourself up? <laughs> <laughs> As a doctor, you think you could stitch yourself up? Would you yeah. pass out? Yeah, for sure. I could do it. No, no problem. I would never okay. do that, dude. I'm so f- terrified of needles. <laughs> when I go to the doctor, I, when I go to the doctor, I have to lay down and like have a, like a juice box. That's just a <laughs> literal fact. Nice. This is a podcast where me and Mark talk about our favorite books. We are always reading books all the time, uh, constantly, mostly novels. Do you think you'd ever do a nonfiction, Mark? Yeah, definitely. Just not yeah. yet. I gotta get used to this. I've read so <laughs> few nonfiction that it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit hard. But anyway, um, the basic concept of the podcast is that uh, we each pick a book that the other person doesn't know which book they're going to report on, and uh, we discuss the book and, and what comes to mind. Um, that's basically it. How you been doing, Mark? Good. Yeah. Uh, reading a lot more now that we're doing this. It's good. <laughs> Are you trying to like stuff books in so that you can report on ones you've read super recently? Yeah, yeah, and I like I keep buying like books I see around or ones that I've been like meaning to pick up for a long time, and uh, been like wanting to tell you about them, but I'm gonna just keep that a secret just in case I <laughs> choose to do them. <laughs> well, buying books is the, is a disease, man. I mean, yeah, it is. <clears throat> I went. Th- I go through phases where sometimes I'm like, you have enough, and and you know you like you know, I don't buy for a little while, and then especially when I move, when I move, I feel like. I leave some books behind, so then it just gives me license to go crazy and start buying books again. Yeah, yeah. I my setup is so stupid right now. I have one. I have one bookshelf, and uh, I have them like double stacked, so there's books <laughs> hiding in the back, like you can't even see. So yeah, dude, I, I hate that. where anything is. <laughs> Actually, I that's stacked a, on top of each other, vertical. It looks ridiculous. That's a good uh, bookworm topic of conversation. Like you said, your setup. Like my setup is like yeah. my setup is whack, man. I got a I got a box of books in the back of my car right now. <laughs> uh, that's my that's my library. Um, nice. But uh, I think we were we were talking a little. We liked uh, playing the game last time on the second episode. We played a game, the six word description game. So you came up with another one. Yeah, I came up with another thing. I just wanted to talk about. It's not so much a game, but just just some ideas I had. I wanted uh, from uh, out and you know see what you think. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of just started with a question like, I don't know what what classic novels would you know make the best video games or like you know could translate to that medium yes yeah, and i was yeah. i yeah i thought about that because uh i was thinking about uh the i was thinking about doom and like the guy from doom i guess his yeah. name is just doom guy that's his, <laughs> that's his thing but like the status bar at the bottom of doom you know how like he starts out if you're at like full health he just looks normal yeah, and, and then, then the more dying. damage you yeah. get, yeah, yeah. When you're at like five or whatever, he's just all bloodied and terrible. Uh-huh. I was thinking 
that that's kind of like uh, the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> the picture of you Dorian could make Gray, that into but, a video game, but in Doom style. So he's like getting older yeah, yeah. along the bottom. He'd be like walking around yeah, town, getting aging. older. <laughs> yeah, he's fighting aging and like uh, just like going through Lord Byron like hedonistic stuff. <laughs> you have to like pick up little tokens that make your life longer and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking about that. Uh, I was also thinking about like Grapes of Wrath as like a Oregon Trail adaptation. Oh yeah, well Just, that's you know. obvious. Yeah, yeah, the Grapes <laughs> of Wrath Oregon Trail. That Except, might be yeah. Well, I mean, that's probably what inspired it in the first place. Uh, dude, there are some intense places out there. Yeah, that's a yeah. <laughs> grapes of Wrath. What would happen in like? I mean, everyone always dies of dysentery and. Yeah, in, uh, <laughs> in Oregon Trail, but they don't stop and hunt for like five hours. Like so the one, the one that I thought about because you said think about this and that's going to be the game. I like this idea that Mark comes up with a game before each time. But um, when you told me about it, I thought of. Do you know the video game La Noire? No. So the, there's that, a there's a PS4? video game by yeah by Rockstar like the same people who made Grand Theft Auto, but it's called L.A. Noir and it's about you're a detective that um, you basically get to crimes you're either involved in the crime scene or you got to the crime after the fact, so you have to interview people to like figure out clues and by the end you have to try to guess what happened and if you don't guess correctly then you're losing the game basically. Okay. Um, so I thought that that would be a good format for the Count of Monte Cristo. Nice. Like if you were just wandering. I thought around. you were going to say Raymond Raymond Chandler or something. <laughs> no, I was like, if you were just wandering around like in the time of Monte Cristo, and like trying to like, yeah, because you know how the whole thing is like his revenge tour. <laughs> yeah. So you would be like interviewing people and like you know dancing around the fact that you're about to like exact your revenge because you're a crazy psycho rich guy. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's a good one. Uh, the other ones I thought of, uh, Robinson Crusoe would be like a, a pretty pretty good RPG that's just you know mostly focused on like inventory management because that's <laughs> that's mostly what that book is. Sure, it's yeah. it's awesome. But it's just like his whole plan, you know, he recovers all this. He's pretty set up uh, if you think of all the stuff that he had. But yeah, yeah, he he, he recovers a ton of stuff from there, the mm-hmm. shipwreck or whatever. Um, and then at the end, yeah, so it'd be like an RPG or whatever. And then uh, the ending of Robinson Crusoe is ridiculous. Uh, what happens? Like the author. Spoilers. He kind of, yeah, yeah. So just he gets rescued and then they kind of venture off uh, through Europe so he can like get back home with like the people who, who -hmm. rescued him or whatever. And just casually there's a fight with literally hundreds of wolves at the end of that book. (laughs) Like he's already, like he's already got through his major plight and just in the last like five pages, he, him and his crew get surrounded by like, and the author just says hundreds of wolves. Like it's not even (laughs) clarified. That sounds like the end. So that would be that would be pretty cool. The end of Assassination Bureau by Jack London. You've read that, right? No, I, our mutual friend 
Kyle would always tell me about that. Yeah, Assassination Bureau. Um, yeah. By Jack London. It's, it's like No, it's... Or maybe it was unfinished or whatever, not in its final draft, but he makes this, like... It's like this crazy long drama of these assassins trying to take each other out, and it's very James Bond and stuff like that. And then at the very end, one of the master assassins just gets like run over by a horse cart. Like it just like <laughs> it just like gets, and then another one like gets sucked into a whirlpool, like a like a <laughs> bo- like d- boating accident. And it's like what? Yeah, did yeah, did that need to happen? Like, <laughs> it, like it's only to sew up like. Because the whole book is like these relentless assassins, and then he has to make this left turn into why they would quit. So he just like kills a bunch of them. Nice. <laughs> Better for like a movie, probably. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I had one more. Uh, Don Quixote as dark as like a Dark Souls kind of game. That would be pretty good. <laughs> the the wind like really you know, really. Yeah, really frail character getting just owned a lot and having boss fights with imaginary things and it'd be cool if you could like switch between playing like reality and his delusional world i can't wait to be able to see the the gilliam don quixote i don't know how to see it yeah but me neither i don't know if it's anyone in the u.s has seen it i don't know um well last time i went first so it's your turn to go first this time okay uh oh yeah one more animal farm animal crossing (laughs) <laughs> uh you're the pigs trying right. to incite a revolution on like a stardew valley game yeah <laughs> <laughs> that'd be cool all right you ready ready okay so this week i want to start uh by asking you a question so in your opinion what's the best room in any house Oh, um, the best room in any house. Wow, it's a really big toss-up between the kitchen and the living room. I think, um, living room. Okay, I gotta disagree and go with the kitchen. So, because okay. yeah. <laughs> that's that's what my that's what my book is all about this week. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, another question: what What's the first kitchen you remember? like with me i remember like my childhood house we had like an old refrigerator with you know looney tunes magnets on it that had like me and my sister's names like the ones you get at (laughs) tourist spots and all that uh like a crappy green fridge where the, the like the light doesn't always the light always waits a little bit to turn on after you open the door like the seal wasn't good so you reclose it and all that like i remember like burning my hand on the uh toaster oven grate in that kitchen oh, and shit fuck that yeah. losing yeah i lost uh, one of my like mini ninja turtle toys like down <laughs> the drain while using it as a half pipe <laughs> <laughs> okay you so your, like, yeah my your earliest kitchen, kitchen is the same well first of all we're uh, we're really showing our white suburban privilege because you and i are from the t- same town in connecticut but uh yeah i remember my like in my kitchen when i was a kid it was like a big, almost like it was uh, arranged in a horseshoe shape, like a U, basically. Mm-hmm. And the fridge was on the left side, and there was like this creepy cabinet next to the fridge that we use. Like, I don't know why my parents did this, but when I was a kid, they had like the chemicals and like the mop and like bucket and stuff <laughs> at the bottom of a cabinet that had like the food in it as well. Ah. Uh... Like the yeah, like you the, had fumes going up into your cereal. 
Yeah, like the top like three shelves were like the cereal and all the like pantry food, <laughs> and the bottom of the pantry was like fucking Lysol. <laughs> um, that was kind of weird. Like what? And then the dishes and stuff were over to the right with a window above a sink, and then we had like an early trash compactor, like our Ooh. our trash but it was it wasn't like a convenience like basically it was this 80s <laughs> trash compactor that you would fill it was up a the, gift or something it was installed in the counter but it, i oh, think it okay. came with the house or something and when you activated it all it did was like rip the bag inside to shreds and stuff <laughs> like that like it was just like fucking terrible it didn't it didn't turn it into like a, a one by one cube no, it's like that's the idea, Damn. but it would like just rip the bag <laughs> open and like get juice everywhere. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, nice. So another question. Do you, you remember the first thing that you ever cooked? So so mine was uh, I think I probably started off on like the grilled cheese maker. You know, one of those like panini press things where it's like turns it into t- to two triangles. Yeah, Maybe I would like, say too much cheese in it leaks out I- the sides. I would say my first foray would be like toaster related, like toast or like um, those like strudel things. Nice toaster strudels. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but then you go. Then I would go into like starting to do your first egg, like a, like a you just scramble the egg and put it in the pan. Yeah. Um, and then I eventually graduated, I graduated pretty quickly to doing like the Bisquick pancakes. Cause all you had to do was like add water. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I also once when I was a kid and like preparing one of my first things ever, I took a bowl of oatmeal and put it in the microwave for like 15 minutes. <laughs> Cause I, and then like the bowl just came out and it was like fused to the bowl. <laughs> awesome. You remember the first time that you're like allowed to uh, pour your own shit, like from a gallon milk jug or like Sunny D container? I don't really remember that. A lot of people have uh, that as a memory, but I don't remember that. Yeah, I just remember. Well, I thought of it like seeing my like niece start doing that on her own like years ago. <laughs> like, oh, I'm like watching her nervously and stuff. <laughs> but um, anyways, so. I want to read, uh, I want to start by reading just a quick intro to the book that I have this week that has the same kind of sentiment. Okay. About kitchens. Okay. The place I like best in this world is the kitchen. No matter where it is, no matter what kind, if it's a kitchen, if it's a place where they make food, it's fine with me. Ideally, it should be well broken in. Lots of tea towels, dry and immaculate, white tile catching the light. I love even incredibly dirty kitchens to distraction. Vegetable droppings all over the floor, so dirty your slippers turn black on the bottom. Strangely, it's better if this kind of kitchen is large. I lean up against the silver door of a towering giant refrigerator stocked with enough food to get through a winter. When I raise my eyes from the oil-spattered gas burner and the rusty kitchen knife, outside the window stars are glittering lonely. Now, only the kitchen and I are left. It's a little nicer than being all alone. When I'm worn dead out in a reverie, I often think that when it comes time to die, I want to breathe my last in a kitchen. Whether it's cold and I'm all alone, or somebody's there and it's warm, I'll stare death fearlessly in the eye. If it's a kitchen, I'll think, how good? It's a little bit darker, but the same kind of <laughs> appreciation for the kitchen. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the book that I brought for this week kind of deals with coming to terms with loss Mm-hmm. through the familiar 
and how right. things like cooking, you know, can help you through difficult times. Uh, and I'm talking about the 1988 novel Kitchen by Japanese author Banana Yoshimoto. Okay. So that's, a pen that's a pen name. It's a pen name. Uh, real this name, is, Mahoko Yo Yoshimoto. This is coming out of nowhere. I've never heard of this. Yeah? Yeah. So this is just a book that I randomly found uh, a couple weeks ago at a bookstore. And um, I love Japanese Intrigued by the name. Authors. Yeah. I love Japanese authors. Just, uh, but I've never heard of, of Kitchen. Yeah, I didn't know much about her, but she's a, a, a very popular author in Japan uh, and known for writing about you know, emotional themes like friendship, love, and loss. Uh, her father is a famous poet, and her sister is, I guess, a famous cartoonist in Japan. Okay. Uh, so she chose the pen name Banana after her love for banana flowers, which I had honestly never seen before until I, I looked them up. Have you ever seen a banana flower? No, but I can look it up. Yeah. So so they kind of look a little ominous. Like, they're hanging. It's like you have the bunch, the banana bunches, which are, like, incredibly numerous uh, oh, right. Okay. and there so they hang kind of straight down from those bunches and it kind of looks like a purple version of like the uh carnivorous pod plant from jumanji and tries to eat everyone yeah it does look kind of scary it has like yeah huge like, <laughs> it looks thing. like it would open up mm -hmm. anyway yeah uh so kitchen was her debut novel 1988 uh and it was I think it was translated into English first in 1993, uh, but it, it's it's pretty short, uh, and it also mo most versions of it include a, the novella uh, Moonlight Shadow with it, mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool because uh, that's named after the like a Mike Oldfield song, you know the Tubular Bells guy, which is like a connection I'm oh. like really happy to discover because <laughs> I'm like a big fan of his. Like uh, I don't I'm not a big fan of that song. It's kind of it's a little too poppy, but like. Uh, I love most of his stuff, and that's kind of a, just a cool connection. Nice. Um, so in Kitchen, I, I don't really want to go over the plot in, in crazy depth because it's a pretty short, but it's like a, it's a minimalistic kind of slice-of-life story. Mm -hmm. um, so in it, uh, the protagonist is a young woman named Mikaj, uh, an, an orphan who has just lost her grandmother, like her last support. Uh, she's in her 20s, I think. Um, so she's, you know, alone at this point now. She's unable to really cope. And, and then one day, like, a, a classmate of hers named Yuichi, who who knew her grandmother from uh, working at a, I guess, a, a flower store, he, he invites her to live with him and his mother, Eriko, who's a trans woman. And so he lost his real mother, so um, that's kind of a common theme of this book. Hmm. Uh, so so they, they live together for like a whole spring, summer with like a pretty interesting dynamic, like a uh, pseudo family dynamic Well, Mikaj kind of deals with her grief. And uh, so during that time, she takes over cooking for the new like pseudo family unit. And that really helps her, you know, turn her life around and recover from all the uh, mm -hmm. damage, all the death around her. And uh, so eventually, so she spends the whole summer cooking, uh, really getting involved in it. And uh, so she eventually finds a job as an assistant chef. And uh, I guess I want to read a quick section from when she kind of finds her calling and, and lands that job. Okay. Okay. 
an amazing number of candidates apparently tested for the job. Why was it that I, a novice with only one summer of study under my belt, got hired? When I saw the women who attended the classes, it made sense. Their attitude was completely different from mine. Those women lived their lives happily. They had been taught, probably by caring parents, not to exceed the boundaries of their happiness, regardless of what they were doing. But therefore, they could never know real joy. Which is better? Who can say? Everyone lives the way she knows best. What I mean by their happiness is living a life untouched as much as possible by the knowledge that we are really, all of us, alone. That's not a bad thing. Dressed in their aprons, their smiling faces like flowers, learning to cook, absorbed in their little troubles and perplexities, they fall in love and marry. I think that's great. I wouldn't mind that kind of life. Me, when I'm utterly exhausted by it all, when my skin breaks out, on those lonely evenings when I call my friends again and again and nobody's home, then I despise my own life, my birth, my upbringing, everything. I feel only regret for the whole thing. But that one summer of bliss in that kitchen, I was not afraid of burns or scars. I didn't suffer from sleepless nights. Every day I thrilled with pleasure at the challenges tomorrow would bring. Memorizing the recipe, I would make carrot cakes that included a bit of my soul. At the supermarket, I would stare at a bright red tomato, loving it for dear life. Having known such joy, there was no going back. No matter what, I want to continue living with the awareness that I will die. Without that, I am not alive. That is what makes the life I have now possible. Inching one's way along a steep cliff in the dark, on reaching the highway, one breathes a sigh of relief. Just when one can't take anymore, one sees the moonlight, beauty that seems to infuse itself into the heart. I know about that. Hmm. So jumping you know, back to the story, mm-hmm. from that point, uh, it gets dark again. Uh, eventually, Mikaj, you know, she moves out, she has this job, and then she's kind of a little bit disconnected from the family uh, that she was with. But months later, you know, she finds out that Yuichi's mother, Eriko, is murdered at the nightclub that she owns. What? And, you know, this causes the entire dynamic to shift. And then suddenly she's the one helping Yuichi to cope. And, mm-hmm. you know, their story ends with like a hopeful feeling that they've, you know, found love and support from each other and they can move you know, forward with their lives and mm-hmm. uh, recover from their losses. It's really interesting so, the the scene that you describe when she's talking about the other people living their happy lives. Um, that really reminds me of the book that I covered in the first episode, Mishi- uh, Mishima. Yeah, just like, like an outsider. Yeah, like just describing these people, and you're like, I'm not a part of those people. Like, yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, it, it's a it's a pretty short like minimalistic kind of story. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's something about Japanese to English translations. Like I, I I don't feel like I've read enough to, to make this real judgment, but this story, you know, felt it felt and and read very similar to Murakami, like in the way that the prose was delivered. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like very ordinary seeming settings and scenes, you know, carry a lot of power and, turn into something like a little surreal yeah yeah that's cool yeah it it might just be something about the way that it is translated um maybe i mean yeah but i don't i don't think you can't give that all the translation 
Yeah, yeah. They might be pretty, like, kind of similar. I mean, Murakami, he deals with kind of... He talks a lot about cooking, too, and, and stuff like that. You know, there's there's comfort in kitchens and good food. Oh, does she, like, does, does like she describe kind of recipes thing. in kitchen? Does she, like, have little cooking scenes? Uh, not too much. Or somewhat, yeah. There There is some kind of... Uh, connection to that at the at the uh end of the book because i let you know that we both love the murakami eating scenes yeah <laughs> cooking Sipping in sapporo cooking and, and eating and i cook some spaghetti blah 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 yeah listening to symphony like a yeah. very specific song but like i told you in the most recent murakami book i like i told you i feel like he almost knew that people were like ribbing him for that because the character kept the character kept not doing like an actual recipe. He was like, "I just got some crackers and ate them." <laughs> nice, yeah. I don't care for for cooking or food. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So, so, anyways, yeah. This it it is a pretty short story. Um, you know, you can read the whole thing in a day, but you know, it's very charming. It's a nice read uh, for like a weekend or something. It's very nice. interesting, yeah. We kind of picked it up on a, a random flyer. So it does sound good. I was happy with it. It's at, like the way that you describe kind of like how s- normal scenes have more significance. Feel- some people are just really good at that. Yeah. So props to Banana, and might try and find more of her books. Banana Flower. Does she, still, does she yeah. publish only under that, or does she go under her real name as well? Uh, no, I think she only publishes under the, under this pen name. Nice. So this came out in 88, and I think uh, her most recent work is 2015, so she's... Whoa, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. That sounds like someone I need to check out. Um, Is it my turn? Yeah, go for it. All right. So it's my turn. Um, The book that I'm doing, I like, Mark, your technique of, uh, like, holding back the title. (laughs) <laughs> waiting yeah, for the yeah. title to drop you like kind of like described <laughs> a few things until you got into it so i'm gonna do the same steal your technique nice. so my book is about art it's about artists it's about um how kind of artists interact with each other but also how they bullshit and sort of project outward um something that might not necessarily be truthful um okay and I really like books that kind of discuss the like art community and stuff like that, um, the way that artists interact. Because I felt like that my I went to art school and I feel like in a way the best training that you can get is how you're gonna be dealing with sort of like eccentric people. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I think that there's also a lot of um there's the there's a big bubble of self-examination around um, making art for yourself and 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 truly one of the most like um, I don't know if opulent is the right word degrees like basically like spending money on being like I'm going to express myself yeah <laughs> um, so it creates I think there's like some weird jealousies that float around around that there's certainly a lot of comparison to sort of like you know, I still have the habit of making of looking up when people publish things that I love. I look at what age they were. 
Oh yeah, you know, I get I get caught up in that too. Yeah, yeah. Like I will, I'll read a great novel and then I'll like look up how old they were, and I will get. I'll feel better if they were older than me. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, <laughs> so there's a little bit of vanity. So this novel that I am doing is called Mosquitoes by William Faulkner. And it was published in 1927. So Mosquitoes by Faulkner, just a quick rundown of the structure um Faulkner kind of always did do structured novels he has a ton of novels that are either structured by like the days of the week or very like kind of pre-set out events so mosquitoes mm-hmm. mosquitoes is exactly the same uh there's a mechanic within the book that basically the introduction um is people who are on shore in new orleans there's a community of artists and artists in new orleans that are like sculptors painters writers just like basically society artist folk mm-hmm. and you kind of get like a little tour of their um their little kind of social world and then the rest of the book is structured day one day two day three day four you know whatever and what they do is that they load onto um a rich woman's steamboat So basically, it's everyone at this party is kind of sucking onto a benefactor. Like, there's some woman who is, um, you know, eccentric enough that she's going to be investing in art and, you know, buying from artists or holding these soirees, these crazy parties, right? Okay. I get the title now Mosquitoes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So they're. They're, yeah, they're kind of going on to the host body, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so that's where we begin. Um, there's a few really good sort of just, you know, he's, a, it's, he's I consider this a really great book, and he's already very good at storytelling structure. So there's so many critics out there who will say that this, like, book has a bad structure or that it, like lacks definition and it's one of his worst books but i completely disagree with that i mean i've read light in august i've read as i lay dying i've read the sound and the fury and i think mosquitoes is he's developing for like first of all he was like 29 when he published it mm-hmm. so he is um developing a style and he's not full faulkner yet but i find that amazing some people don't like appreciate it oh, and just not. say fully there yet does he is does this book have a lot of or does this book have any like the of the uh, stream of consciousness kind of style that he was known for? yeah when he did when he like sets scenes up and describes scenes and i may read just a little bit from any random point in the book he does um he there is the faulkner voice in there and he drops some very weird language and very kind of interestingly placed uh, descriptions and stuff like that um but for the most part, he's just early Faulkner, so he's just not fully there yet. So there's, but that mm-hmm. gives it a lot more actual structure. Um, so there's a, like there's a lot of things about the novel that I really love. Um, like I said, the the art like between communication, like artists communicating between each other. How do they communicate with each other, and how do they have a lack of communication as well? Um, 
like for instance one of the main characters gordon is a sculptor who i think that faulkner kind of sees someone who's a sculptor as almost like a pure artist you know um like a pure creative and he's the main character and he he basically from page one is going on the boat trip because the the benefactor woman the woman who has all the money he has a like a thing for her niece for her niece and her niece has got got different interests than everyone he's got different interests no that's the that's the thing that you kind of learn over time that you see it from this one guy's perspective and you're like oh is this like sleazy like what is this and then you kind of throughout the novel learn that it's everyone's like purpose in the entire trip oh (laughs) so all of them are artists and like the woman who's the benefactor does funny things every night where she like tries to get you know herd the cats and get the artists to all do like an activity like dancing on the deck or something like that and they all instead they always ditch her and get wasted and like just talk about (laughs) art um so there's a lot of kind of like colorful characters um there is some really interesting stuff about mosquitoes the novel because of um some of the way that it was edited so throughout the entire book there are really heavy themes of um sexuality like one of the very first scenes is one of the main characters describing how he's like sexually frustrated that he's not as good with women as he'd like to be and um there's just sexuality throughout the novel and a spectrum of sexuality throughout the novel especially for 1927 so there's a lesbian scene um on the steamboat that happens there's a lot of subtextual um you know i saw two shadows kissing kind of thing so it's like Mm -hmm. that could be either sex um and there's a lot of kind of suggestions in there but i also like through researching for today um you know i found out when the book was originally published it was by like a small publishing house and faulkner went on to win the nobel prize and stuff like that later on in his career but uh at this point he was unknown like completely unknown um and would be for many years so the publisher kind of took control and apparently there's about four or five scenes that they took out of the book because they were too sexually explicit um oh they cut some stuff out they cut some stuff out yeah so those manuscripts you can like you know the only way to view them is to sort of like go to you know like some university in alabama and like (laughs) or mississippi or somewhere and like kind of like check it out so there i don't i I mean i wouldn't be surprised if someone someday was like preparing to do an edition with those back in which um i would pick up in a heartbeat because that would be really interesting um one of the other great things that's a feature of the of the book just in in the way where it sits in faulkner's life is that it's pretty much a hundred percent confirmed that he did go on a steamboat art trip like this um okay obviously biographical yeah he he dramatized it but there is kind of literal proof that he was on a steamboat for you know an extended period of time with some fellow society types and um kind of i think he took it's clear that he took a lot of the characters from reality and this is one of the only Mm -hmm. novels this is one of the only novels in uh faulkner's entire canon where he appears in the novel um okay (laughs) so he makes a reference to himself 
Um, Faulkner has a famous cameo appearance in the story in a conversation between Jenny and Pat as a funny man she once met who claimed to be a liar by profession and made good money doing it. So he basically described himself as like a liar who yeah. <laughs> makes up stories and stuff like that to get to get paid. That's kind of what I picture him doing anyways when I think of Faulkner. He's either on like a uh, uh, riverboat whatever or <laughs> yeah. like in some southern gothic cottage that's yeah dark and well the, I don't know. i'm i'm glad that you mentioned the cottage because one of the reasons that i did this novel today was actually because there is some autobiographical stuff about me that i'd like to kind of slip into here because i've been thinking about faulkner a lot lately i've been thinking about mosquitoes a lot not only because it's one of my favorites of his but because um, I recently drove across the country from my hometown in Connecticut to Los Angeles, where I am moving to be a freelancer, um, possibly do some writing, but also just like I, I quit my job recently and it's a big life chapter change, which is really exciting. But I also, on the way across the country, I got to stop by at Faulkner's house in um, Oxford, Mississippi. Damn. So I went to Oxford's house. Uh, I mean, Oxford, Mississippi, and right nearby is the Faulkner House, which is it has a name. It's called Rowan Oak, R O W A N, oak like the tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, Faulkner named the estate. Um, there's a nameplate out front. He named the the estate for a type of tree. But basically, this is the house that. I don't think he wrote mosquitoes in that house, but this is the house where everything, where success culminated. And he was writing books like A Fable, which he won the Nobel Prize for, and um, other of his major works. I think um, most of them were written in this house. Nice. So it's a fascinating place. Um, It's a great place to visit because if you're a total book nerd, it's like five bucks for entry and you can just do a self-guided tour with lots of cool knickknacks. It has every like member of his family where their bedrooms are still all original, including the bookcases where their books were. So you go and see Faulkner's bedroom and there's like a bookcase full of books that he was reading. Whoa. (laughs) Um... And also his library has innumerable books and like copies of his own books. So there's first editions in there that are just his copy from when it was published. Did they put like Hemingway books in the trash? <laughs> like on display? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of cool little idiosyncratic things. Like um, he, uh, Faulkner himself, didn't really have respect for like walls. Like he would write all over them all the time. <laughs> And uh, the office where he wrote most of his novels has uh, a royal typewriter on a small desk. And then all of the walls are completely filled with handwritten notes for his book, Fable, A Fable. Mm -hmm. Which is, again, structured just like Mosquitoes, where a fable happens throughout a week and the chapters are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that kind of thing. And uh, it's amazing. It's it's uh, it also is visually kind of cool because he writes some of the bolded titles in like red grease pencil and stuff like that. So it looks really cool. And then he also has an old style telephone in his kitchen where on the wall written next to it are like 
Mississippi people's phone numbers from like <laughs> 1920s. So it it says it literally says like Marjorie four dash five five five. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so yeah, I spent some time at the Fokker house. It was really cool there. I took a picture of mosquitoes in front of the house because I just love mosquitoes so much. I love Faulkner. I seem to be one of the most excited people there. There were like some old ladies there and I was like, they were like, where should we start? And I was like, I'll tell you all about Faulkner. You should start reading late in August. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they thought you worked there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish I worked there now. Um, and it's just a really soulful, cool, quiet place. Um, there's a lot of interesting facts, like, uh, unfortunately, there's, like, you know, there's an extra cottage on the on the property that's, like, servants' quarters, and it's where um, Faulk- the Faulkner family owned slaves, basically, or had servants. I don't know at that point if they were paying them or not, but there's, like, the shack, but the amazing thing about that is that Apparently they had like like one woman who like a black woman who was their like beloved family servant. You know, there's so much kind of to me that sounds like really scary, like weighted context yeah. behind that. But um, she lived there to be a hundred, and she is in like all of Faulkner's novels. Um, there's just so many jovial kind of like black Southern women in his novels and, and they pretty much credit all of that to her um, so there's that stuff there and like i said um mosquitoes gets a lot of flack for being not full faulkner yet but i i kind of think that that's like a little bit bullshit um it's people, like kill them all it's not not fully polished yeah it's, it's not fully metallica but there's like crazy stuff in there <laughs> and you're like whoa like what like this is you know something's happening i think that people take it a lot of people i think what's happening are they're not being introduced to this as a beginning faulkner novel they dive straight into his most prolific famous work yeah. and then they say oh this is a different person from before and i don't really think that that's fair <laughs> um I just yeah. think you know, take it for take mosquitoes for what it is, and it really is a, as a great book. Um, and yeah, apparently there's it, there is some actual um, like crazy stuff about you know, like they found the manuscript in the eighties, like they found a handwritten manuscript in the eighties, which they didn't know um, that mosquitoes was handwritten. So that kind of leads leads kind of credence to you know the theory of him keeping it almost like a journal and then kind of just turning it into a novel because uh, apparently he didn't really do that especially in later years it was always just a typewritten thing manuscript mm-hmm. so this was kind of a diversion from that and there was huge chunks of it that he had written by hand um also, my edition of Mosquitoes, I just love dearly because it's so dilapidated. It just it like <laughs> it yellow pages, and it's got the it's got the green edges. You know, like someone like took a marker and made it green, or like you know oh, did something yeah. with it. And then <laughs> the cover is held on by duct tape. Perfect. Um, so it's obviously as from how you can tell I'm describing, it's one of my best smelling books. <laughs> I'm smelling it right now, which I love to smell. 
parchment um, mites or whatever. <laughs> oh, I mean, they can live in my nose if they want to. Like, I love that smell. So much. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's that, that's basically um, mosquitoes in a nutshell. It's a fantastic book. A lot of latent sexuality and sexual tension that is written pretty well. Um, there's a lot of scenes that are are really sort of interesting and also i feel like i don't i mean i don't know if faulkner has written because that this clearly about sexuality before either so it's just a it's a great read and also it does fit into that sort of classic canon of lgbt literature that is just sort mm -hmm. of like like i mean even the first book that i discussed on the podcast confessions of a mask is like Sometimes you might find this on lists of like queer novels and stuff like that, but it's uh, it's so much more than that as well. I gotta ask: Does anything like incredibly tragic and depressing happen in it? Because all my experience with reading Faulkner is kind of <laughs> no. That this way. is this is a little bit lighter. This is more sort of um, nothing tragic with death or destruction per se. More. Um, more just um relationships and betrayals like betrayals okay betrayals of friendships and um I, it's a book that it actually kind of reminds me of a little bit is a there's a more modern book called um the interestings by meg wolitzer and that's just a, a fantastic book too it's like an ensemble piece book about um these kids who meet each other at summer camp and they go on all to be professional artists because it's like a hoity-toity, like a rich kids camp, basically. Yeah. So and, they're like artist convent kind of thing? Yeah, but they grow up with it. like, And then one of them becomes sort of like an analogy for, um, you know, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, like people who... No. <laughs> like, like he basically becomes famous with like a South Park-esque type uh, show. And it, oh, and it just like, has a lot of really great analysis of what it feels like when your friends succeed and stuff like that. And there's a lot of stuff like that in Mosquitoes as well, where they start to, you know, put each other down for what is ultimately superficial reasons. And they don't know yeah. kind of where they are in the world of, of art and stuff like that. The competitiveness and um, mm. that sort of <laughs> awkward kind of. Feelings. Right, yeah, like if you can imagine yeah. a me like a medical drama, but instead of the <laughs> medical drama, it's like art drama of like self expression. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I know I know you like to think of uh, you know um, what you're reading as and or not the books you're reading if they could be movies or anything. And it, this when you were talking about it, it was making me think of uh, John Mahoney, like the the dad from Frasier. And how he he played he played not he didn't play Faulkner but he played a character that was like entirely based on Faulkner in uh, one of the Coen Brothers movies like in Barton Fink. Oh, yeah, he played yeah. a Faulkner type character. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's so weird. So that's all I was picturing, <laughs> and I was I was thinking about him anyways because you were talking about artists, and I was thinking about the episode when he pretends to be that famous artist and he just calls everything crap. Oh, in Frasier. Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good episode. Um, yeah, completely. There's yeah, there's all faking and stuff like that. You could make mosquitoes both serious and funny. Like you could you could kind of cut the cloth either way. Like depending on what filmmaker made it, could be 
multiple things. Um, I really didn't specifically visualize this with any characters, which is a shame because I don't know kind of any actors that I would put into this. The movie that it kind of like visually kind of calls to mind for no reason is um, there's a movie that Herzog made, uh, Werner Herzog made called um, shit. I'm not gonna remember it. Um. Anyway, it's a movie about people put establishing an opera in Africa and pushing a steamboat over a hill. And uh, basically, they're <laughs> gonna move this steamboat from one river to another, like along a country in Africa or like the Nile or something like that. But um, well, like rolling it on logs or something. Yeah, rolling it on logs. But the thing with Herzog was he was crazy enough to demand that they do it like for real. Like he found a steamboat. <laughs> And wanted to do it for real. <laughs> so he, there's not like special effects in it. So it, the movie itself doesn't, uh, you know, it's an okay movie. Um, there's also a fantastic documentary about making the movie, which is better than the movie itself. But um, nice. The the basic pre- the the visuals of a steamboat gone awry. I kind of think of um, of that Herzog movie has klaus kinski in it um that's i i don't know anything about this <laughs> you don't know like here. you don't know like a I, I know thing. who hurt i know who uh hurt dog is i know yeah. his voice i know his accent the movie that's, is fit, that's like my extent the movie is Fitzcarraldo, though and it's about a man who goes into africa or somewhere in the amazon jungle to um to establish oh in peru and uh, he wants to establish an opera there, but first he has to push a steamboat over a hill. But anyway, that is <laughs> that reminds me of mosquitoes and sort of that. Just the idea of a steamboat, you know, is sort of romantic. Yeah. And I think that he's playing on that a little bit as well. Like this romantic kind of river ride where everybody is a little amped up sexually. And and I think it's cool for Faulkner, you know, to, to read Faulkner like that because, like you said earlier, everything is about somebody in a coffin or you know, yeah, like a like a very gothic view of life. So this one's a little yeah, bit more joyous, or a, uh, yeah, some yeah. <laughs> something bad going on. Slavery. I read a I read a Faulkner short story when I was in the area visiting his house about. Um, oh my god, it was so sad. It was like this. Um, servant woman who works for a white family and she doesn't want to go home because she thinks that her husband is like hiding in the bushes waiting to kill her basically oh god and it's just so awful like she takes the white kids home without the without the mom's permission and it turns into this whole fiasco yeah that was a really intense story by faulkner um so yeah that's that's mosquitoes all right, sounds good. We're just under, we're just over fifty minutes. Um, what? Well, let's talk about some ideas that we have for the for the podcast. I kind of pitched an idea to you about we're wondering, we're thinking about perfecting our art of um, narrating and reading, and maybe doing some mini episodes where it's just us doing a reading from from whatever. Maybe we should always do it from the book that we just did, or the one we're about to do, or I don't know. Yeah, just uh, or I don't know, sections we we remember or mm-hmm. things that really stick out. Yeah. That would be cool. 
I think it would be cool. Yeah, a lot of different ideas. Specific read it because I I I want to. I've noticed when when I'm doing uh, reviews here on the podcast, I just want to get better at reading the actual when I dive into the actual book. Yeah, I haven't listened to the one from last week with the third policeman, but I'm pretty sure I was out of breath like a quarter of the way through. <laughs> but it was fun to follow it, and I think that it would be even more fun if we started to get really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Start working on new voices. <laughs> read yeah. it. No, don't do it. Octave lower. Don't do cool. that thing where, like, have you ever read, like, an or had an audiobook read to you where, like, a male author tries to do, like, his female voice? <laughs> I've heard, like, fantasy audiobooks where they'll be like, excuse me, sir, like, trying to sound like a woman. <laughs> it's like, dude, don't do that. Just, like, read. Normally. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, I'm not going to try. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Shitty Book Reports, the podcast. Uh, you can catch us on SoundCloud, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Gmail, at SBR, the podcast, uh, no spaces. Uh, just hit us up with any ideas you have, anything you want to hear, any books you want to cover, anything we fucked up really bad, uh, beyond repair, and uh, we can go back and fix it, maybe. <laughs> um, thanks for listening. Thanks, bye.